0: Thank you, Jamie and Autumn. So uh, just further, some announcements is Wednesday night Bible study. So here's the deal. Uh, For the next, I'm going to say eight or nine Sundays, we are going to be taking the first chapters of Revelation Okay, so chapters 1 to 4, I believe that we will look. I'm toying with the idea of ending with chapter 4. I'm not going to go through the whole book because that's like wild. But chapters 1 to 4. And then for a Wednesday night Bible studies, we will dig deeper into what we talked about on Sunday morning. And so Revelation chapter 1 to 4, I am very excited about that. And so um, if you've never come to a Bible study, Hey, here's your chance. You can. <laughs> We're digging deep, and it will be. Um, it will be. Uh, it, it will be worth uh, coming and sharing and learning all about it. That's Wednesday nights at seven o'clock, starting this Wednesday. Um, also, I'm very excited to announce that Martha, who um, attends from the state of New York and has for about a year, will be uh, sharing her testimony, and uh, next Sunday and so uh look forward to that and uh one more uh prayer meeting nine o'clock on friday mornings anything else and and, oh yes there is ladies exercise starting monday Uh, sylvia's not feeling well today hopefully she'll bounce back enough well it you, you know what I've I've seen some of what they do and how you know how they how it's adaptable to everybody and so even if you're not feeling good, Sylvia could sit down on a chair and still do some stuff, right? That, like not that she might she might not feel like it. You know, let's pray for Sylvia that she would feel like leading that exercise class for sure. Um, and so that's Mondays and Fridays, seven o'clock p.m. Anything else? Okay, well, let's get into it. I'm excited about... Turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1. So in the U.S., the National Enquirer... (laughs) Little snickers here and there. The National Enquirer was at one time the nation's most read newspaper, if you can even call it a newspaper. Now, uh, honestly... They've improved. They've they've improved somewhat, from what I've read, and I don't read the. I mean, from from the investigating that I've done. I'm 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 not a National Enquirer fan, if that's what you're thinking. So when it was at the top of its circulation, it was in the millions would read this uh, newspaper every year. It would be it would publish the nation's leading prophets' predictions for the coming year. There have been lots of predictions and surprise, surprise, uh, they're not very reliable. And nothing, I mean, many have been out to lunch. Here's a few of the predictions. Inflation would be stopped dead in its tracks. That's ridiculous in any year. Uh, discoveries like the cure of cancer, tooth decay, heart disease, diabetes, kidney disease, arthritis, the common cold, and even the aging process itself would be history by now. (laughs) Really? We're still waiting. Uh, They predicted that food prices would be drastically reduced. Really? What does the Bible say? That you know, one day um, bread would cost like a bag of gold. It's like That it's coming. If food prices are not going to get any better, trust me. That Ronald Reagan would leave his wife, I think he did to go to the post office and then he came back. (laughs) Uh, That Muhammad Ali would win a seat in Congress. (laughs) Lots of fighting going on there. And that the first human, red haired boy, would be cloned in Kentucky. Okay, perhaps their predictions are as twisted as their stories. But again, um, but but why why do people read this stuff? Why do the people pick up these these newspapers? These papers, I mean. Now now there, not as many people read because I would think since the availability of real fake news sent right to your phone, you. You get the convenience of fake news right in your hand all the time, whenever you want, or your tablet or your computer. And so the National Enquirer is just a shadow of its former self. In 2020, Pew Research did a survey and asked participants to give their opinion on the reliability of that paper. Uh, only 4% polled said uh, that they believed all or most of it. 4%. A whopping 61% said that they believed none of it. (laughs) And yet, people buy and read. Is it entertainment? Is it just because it's right when you're checking out at the groceries? And and say, oh, look at that picture. That looks interesting. Maybe it's entertainment. I don't know. We're going to look at the first, you know, three, four chapters of Revelation written by the Apostle Paul around 95 AD on the island of Patmos. Did I say Paul? Okay, well Paul was there in spirit. No. <laughs> okay, well thank you for correcting me. At least you know what I you know what that tells me, you're listening. Okay. So it was the apostle John that was on Patmos and And he, um, this was around 95 AD. Uh, Many people find that this book is, you know, maybe a bit intimidating, maybe a bit scary, maybe a bit hard to understand. And so a lot of people ignore it. Really, they don't read it. They don't reference it. We should not ignore it or be afraid of it. However, if you are a believer in Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And as you read God's word... The Spirit will reveal that word to you that you're reading, right? It has strong connections to the book of Daniel, which we have recently gone through in the Old Testament. And I, so let, let's get at it. I can hardly wait to, to dig into this stuff. It's really quite amazing. And so starting at verse 1, we're going to cover the first chapter today. Now, it's a message to seven churches that were real. And so you can see that each Sunday we will cover one of those churches. But I want to just kind of dig into the first chapter just today. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, not Paul. Who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written in it. For the time is near. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and who washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in this tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos. To Thyatira, to Sardis, and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands one like the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girdled about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white, like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes Like a flame of fire, his feet were like fine brass, as as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Well, I want to look at three things. A message delivered, a messenger disciple, and a Messiah divine. So first of all, a a message delivered. Has anybody heard the name Jack Phillips? Do you know who that is? Anybody? Jack Phillips. Have you heard of that name? Well, he was a senior radio man on the maiden voyage of the Titanic. Now you know. And now you know, maybe some of you know where this is going. Two hours before the Titanic hit that iceberg and sank, two hours, a full two hours, another ship radioed the Titanic and said there is an ice field ahead. There's an ice field ahead. There's danger ahead. Need to pay attention. But the ship and the radio man was busy. He was very busy. And so he looked at the message and put it on a spike. He put it there and he said, I'll look after it later. The message never got delivered. And two hours later, well, he and 1,500 other people were gone. My goodness, people. Do you hear what I'm saying here? This isn't a text message. The book of Revelation isn't a text message that, that reads pick up some milk and bread when you're on your way home from work. It's not that. It's not something we should ignore. It isn't a funny video from your latest TikTok guy that you can, you know, look at your leisure later on. Jesus took the time to send us a message and it's probably one of the most neglected messages in our Bible, the book of Revelation. Revelation, what does it mean? The first word is actually is revelation. This is the Greek word apocalypse, which comes which we get our word apocalypse from. And it literally means unveiling or taking off the cover. Trench explains it this way. In the New Testament, apocalypsis always has the majestic sense of God's unveiling of himself to his creatures. An unveiling that we call by its Latin name, revelation. It depicts the progressive and immediate unveiling of the otherwise unknown and unknowable God to his church throughout the ages so write this down if not in your Bibles in your mental storage unit that you call your brain write it down take notes not in some obscure place but somewhere that you can reference this readily hear this It's God's intention to reveal rather than to conceal. God wants us to know. He wants to reveal rather than conceal. Now it's John MacArthur that said, It is unthinkable to believe that God would speak with precision and clarity from Genesis to Jude. And then when it comes to the end of the Bible, abandon all precision and clarity. Again, it's God's intention to reveal rather than to conceal. And now if this is true, and I most certainly believe it is, then the question is, if Scripture is indeed meant to be understood, why do we have such a difficult time understanding this book? And especially in these days. Why? Well, let me... Let me suggest a few things why we might have trouble understanding the book of Revelation. Well, we're unwilling to take the time to study it. Number one. How about number two? It's not high on our priority list. Number three, our hearts reflect the season. What season is this? Winter. It's kind of cold outside sometimes. So, what am I saying that our hearts are cold? Number four, we love the world and the things of the world. And so we're distracted and we're not digging into God's Word. I could go on and on, but I think you get the idea. It's God's intention to reveal rather than to conceal. And yet, what have we done with this message? We've put it on a spindle to read sometimes later. There is an important message for us here and now. And so we're going to take it off the spindle. And we're going to get into it. Amen? Amen. So, at the beginning, it says um, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show. Right? Which God gave him. Uh, God the Father gave this message to God the Son to share with his servants. Later on in this chapter, John reveals that he is in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, all members of the Trinity, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved here. All members in unity involved to give this message to those who are following Jesus. It's an important message, and it's important to know that the Trinity is involved. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to show his servants things which must shortly take place. Now, this doesn't mean that the events described in Revelation would take place just a few years from when John uh, was receiving this message. And uh, the Greek word translated soon can mean quickly, swiftly, speedily, at a rapid rate, which means in Revelation 1.1 is that when when, when the prophesied events first start to occur that is in the end times, then whatever is written in Revelation will happen really fast. You're not going to have time to think. It's just going to be one thing after another and this will be fulfilled. And if you understand and if you connect it to the book of Daniel, there is one week left of Daniel 70 weeks. And that is the tribulation time, which is the final week. Right? Seven years. And so everything that is from chapter 6 to chapter 19 in Revelation, which is the tribulation, which is those seven years, which is that last week of Daniel, it's all going to happen. It's all going to be fulfilled in those seven years. That's fast. The world is not going to know what hit them. It's going to happen so quickly and that's what it means here. It's going to happen at a rapid rate once they start to happen. And we're going to talk about what the trigger is in just a bit. And so when will this happen, actually? When will it start? And so Jesus said in Luke chapter 21, verses 29 to 33, he said this, Look at the fig tree and all the, and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. That, and I believe that the kingdom that is the thousand-year reign of Christ. And then into eternity. And so when you see these things happen, that is the, the same things that, were, that the bulk of Revelation is about, when you start to see these happen, these things happen you know truly I tell you this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened heaven and earth will pass away but my words will never pass away that's what Jesus said and so let me be a little bit more specific after we introduce the book of Revelation with chapter 1 we're going to look at the seven churches individually Various, various commentators um have differing interpretations as to what these seven churches and what the messages to these seven churches actually how they're to be interpreted right and let me there, there's kind of four ideas the first one is that these were local churches with specific messages for each church now i can agree with that that's reasonable that, that isn't a reasonable interpretation. However, I'm going to say that often, Scripture has more than one interpretation. Prophecy has a couple of different ways that it can be fulfilled and will be fulfilled. And so, yes, they were for local churches. I agree with that. No problem. An admonition to all churches in all times. Well, I would agree with that too because it's God's word and God's Word is meant to correct, and, and, and when we're going off track, you read God's Word and it'll bring you back, right? The problem, the problems these churches faced and the solutions are like universal tests to discern the spiritual state of a church in God's sight. In other words, do the descriptions of any of the churches matches, do they match a local church in a local time? Absolutely. Can they be exercised by what is said here? Absolutely. And so I can agree with that. I can agree with the the first interpretation, the second interpretation. The third one is a prophetic message concerning the pattern an individual church goes through from its birth to its death. And so, in other words, the seven churches starting with the first one is kind of a pattern from birth to death of a church because and I really like this interpretation and I think it's valid um, here something um, that I read by Tom Rayner. he wrote an article about six stages of a dying church and in that article he said there's denial we don't have a problem right god you know the, the church is formed and it's starting and and it's going well and 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 then all of a sudden there's something not quite right and pe- there's the first thing is denial the second thing is recalibration and that is something might be wrong let's change you know let's change the program Let's get a new program, something exciting. Or maybe it's the pastor's fault. We'll get a new pastor. Or let's fire the board and get a new board. Or I mean, there's all kinds of things. Let's build a new building. And, and, and so it's recalibration. But that change is not from the heart. Then the third thing is Anger all of a sudden people begin to blame the, for lack of commitment or it's the denomination's fault or we live in a weird community. Well, all those things might be true. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, you know, the pastor isn't dynamic enough or, or, or society is, is you, you know, just a bunch of sinners. Well, that's, all of these things could be true. But it's the blame and anger, Right? Exodus is the fourth one. People begin to leave and uh, worship seems desolate. There's demoralized individuals in your church. What are we doing here? Then desperation. Suddenly the church is open to change. But the writing is on the wall. And then finally there's death. And the church becomes a a stat. This program now, this is what Tom Rayner says. This process used to take 30 or more years. In our day, it's less than 10 years. It's less than 10 years. The fourth thing is a prophetic message concerning the pattern of the church's spiritual state until the end, end of the age. That would mean that we if you figure it out and if you look at the seven churches, we are in the Laodicean age. And what happens in the Laodicean age? The church is neither hot nor cold. And God says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you're neither, nor, neither hot nor cold. It, it, actually, it's going to throw, throw up. Right? and And so I think all four of those interpretations are absolutely valid, and so that 's why I think it 's so important for us to look at this at this time, but it also means something else: If the message to the churches are indeed prof- a prophetic pattern of the church throughout the ages, then when the church age is finished and the tribulation begins and jesus i mean and jesus returns here 's what the Schofield study Bible says about chapter 4 and verse 1. It starts, come up here. And so John is invited to come up to heaven, right? That's chapter 4. We're going to get there eventually in, in a couple of months. But just a little tease right here. Come up here. And so beginning with 4.1, the viewpoint of John is from heaven. And the word church does not appear again in Revelation until Revelation 22, verse 16. The catching up of John, or the rapture, from the earth to heaven. John is raptured up to heaven. Okay. Has been taken to be a symbol, a symbolic representation of the translation or rapture of the church as occurring before the events of the tribulation described in chapters 6 to 19. And so here's the thing. And this is why this is significant as a pattern for churches in the ages. When the church is gone, the church didn't die. It was translated. The church was raptured. It was lifted off the earth. And when the church is gone and then everything else will happen in rapid succession in seven years revelation will be complete that's that's significant and that's why we need to study and look at this book so number two the second thing I want to talk about is a message a messenger disciple and that of course is the apostle John now it's Jesus, who gave this message, and he gave it to one of his closest disciples, or as John often put it, the disciple that Jesus loved. (laughs) They were besties, you know, at least from John's point of view. Um, What do we know about John at this point in his life? First of all, John identifies himself as a witness. Indeed, he was. John spent three years with Jesus as a student. John saw the power of God on display through what Jesus said and through what Jesus did. John saw lives changed. Fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, doubters, all changed in ways that could only be the work of the Holy Spirit. It could only be the work of God in their lives. He saw Jesus overpower the forces of darkness by casting out demons and by calming raging storms. As he said in the book of John we beheld his glory and so john was a witness he identifies himself here as a witness i saw these things second john identif- identifies himself in, now look at verse 9 he says i'm both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of jesus christ and so in these verse in this verse verse 9 john is a brother He's experienced the same thing as the other believers in the known world. There is kinship. I remember when we were in northern Ontario, stopped at a Walmart, we were shopping, and right in the middle of the store, right, I think it was the kitchen section or something, there was another family that were believers. They loved the Lord and we loved the Lord and there was immediate kinship. We just had the greatest time. It was hard to leave the store. Not because there was so much we wanted, because we found kinship with other believers. It's, it was absolutely amazing. This is what John is saying. There's kinship. He is one of them. He is one of them. Now, John, as a brother, John was experiencing the same prejudice, the same persecution that other believers were acquainted with. John was in exile on this island an island off the coast of modern Turkey. It is a desolate and rocky island. I've seen pictures. It was a Roman penal colony. The word tribulation is added, to the word tribulation is added, kingdom and patience. A major reason for the book of Revelation is to bring encouragement in the face of suffering. When we suffer for Christ's sake as a believer... How can we patiently endure that? Because there's something better coming. That's what John is saying. There's reward and there's judgment. Jesus is coming. The third thing, now I like this one, is John identifies himself as a worshiper. As a worshiper. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now we can't say for sure, what John was talking about when he said the Lord's Day. Is that a reference to Sunday? The, the day Jesus was resurrected from the dead. It's known as the Lord's Day. Could have, it could have been. John could have been saying, you know what? I was just you know, sitting on the rocks looking at the ocean and just, you know, in, in worship and, and it was Sunday morning and, and man, the Spirit just came on me. It could be. It could be the Lord's Day. It could be Sunday. Is it a reference to the day of the Lord? As in the day when Jesus comes back or when, when the final things happen, the, the end of time the last days, is it that day? Could it be, is that what John was talking about? In this view, John was transported into the future day of the Lord, the prophetic day of the God's great judgment and the return of Christ. Or is it in reference to John's experience in the Spirit? In this case, it would be a day in which he fell under the control of the Holy Spirit and was given prophetic inspiration the day The Lord chose to manifest himself to John. Irregardless of what the Lord's day means, here's what's important. Here's what I want you to take away from this. John was in the habit of worship. John was in the habit of worship. Let me tell you something. When you read the book of Revelation, we find that worship is a big part of what goes on in heaven. Right? Chapter 4. You know, they're, they're all surrounding the throne. There's worship going on. It's worship. If you don't make worship a priority now, this is, this is important. If you don't make worship a pri- priority now, well, two things. Will you even be there in heaven? Number one. And if you are there, will you even enjoy the worship? if you don't make worship your priority now, right? I mean, if if you never really make that a priority, my goodness, people, make worship your priority. John was a worshiper. And when John saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, as if dead, like he was dead, he worshipped. The third thing is Messiah divine. Now, John's greeting is significant. If you've ever wondered about whether or not the Trinity is mentioned in the Bible, here's one of the places where you can reference. Grace and peace, from who? Right at the beginning, grace and peace, but who's it from? It's And from him who is and was and who is to come, this is a reference to God the Father. The seven spirits, which I don't believe are angels because the seven spirits are elevated to equality with the father and the son so it's in reference to the holy spirit why the number seven why the number seven well first of all seven is the number of perfection the number seven in revelation is everywhere there's seven churches seven lampstands seven stars seven torches before the throne seven seals seven horns seven eyes on the lamb Seven spirits of God, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven thunders, seven heads of the dragon, seven heads of the beast, seven bulls, and seven kings. That's a lot of sevens, all in the book of Revelation. And second, it could be also a reference to the sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit. As in Isaiah. Chapter Eleven, Verse Two, speaking of the coming Messiah, the Spirit of the Lord—that's number one—shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom, number two, and understanding, number three. The Spirit of counsel, number four, uh, four. The and the Spirit of might, five. The Spirit of knowledge, six, and the and the fear of the Lord, seven. Sevenfold work of the Spirit—that's Isaiah Eleven, Two—and then Jesus Christ. And that's where we'll take a little more time unpacking with what it says about Jesus here. We'll look at Jesus with two different ways. First, what John saw as a trained instructor, and then um, from what John saw as a present beholder. And so from John, the trained instructor, again, John spent three years with Jesus as a student. After Jesus was raised from the dead, he sent his disciples out as witnesses and teachers. Remember how impressed the Sanhedrin was when they confronted Peter and John for healing a crippled man and preaching in the name of Jesus. Remember that? They said, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. That's Acts 4.13. They had been with Jesus. There's a message there, isn't there? So now it had been some 60 years and John was still going strong. He was still preaching the same message. Listen to the description of Jesus from John's perspective. Jesus is the faithful witness. That's one title among many titles of Jesus. He's called Faithful and True in Revelation 19.11. John is saying that God who cannot lie is bringing our attention to the truth. You can count on its accuracy. He's the firstborn from the dead, John says. The term firstborn was either the eldest child in a family or a person of preeminent rank. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead in the sense that he was the first to receive a glorified body. There were others that were raised from the dead. Do you remember Jairus' daughter? Do you remember Lazarus? They were raised from the dead, but they didn't receive glorified bodies. Their mortal bodies were quickened and made alive. They came, and their flesh and bone, their, their, their lungs received air and they lived, but they died again. They didn't receive glorified bodies at that time. Jesus was the first to receive a glorified body. Ruler over kings of the earth. God is on the throne. This speaks of Christ's sovereignty. He will not fully exercise that authority until his second coming. Who loved us? The word loved here is a present participle. In other words, He is still loving us. He is loving us. It is present tense. It's not just something that happened in the past. God loved the world and gave Jesus. No. God continues to love us. Jesus loves me. This I know. Jesus continues to love. He washed us from our sins in his own blood. Why did God choose blood? Why? Blood. It's messy. Right? I think it could be because life is in the blood, according to Leviticus 1711. Jesus gave his blood. Jesus gave his life. And so he washed us from our sins in his own blood. You know, there is no good news apart from the shedding of Jesus' blood. Jesus is a good teacher, yes. Jesus is coming again, yes. All these things about Jesus, yes, yes, yes. But there's no good news unless, blood, unless it's the blood of Jesus shed for us. He has made us kings and priests to God. Some translations say a kingdom of priests. No matter, the point is, we co-rule with Christ And ultimately, we are servants of God. His coming in the clouds where every eye will see him. With today's technology, it's very possible that every eye will see Jesus coming with the armies of heaven, the internet. You can see what's going on on the other side of the world almost instantaneously. Even they who pierced him, they will see him. Even they who pierced him. Now, In Jesus' first coming, he was right there. He was right there in plain sight. He was right there for for the Jews to see him, their Messiah. And they didn't see him, even though he was right there in plain sight. This time, the second coming, when Jesus comes back, they will see him. They will see him, the one they pierced. And it will be different this time. They will recognize him. And they will mourn along with all the other nations. And it says here the tribes will mourn because of him. And why will they mourn? Why will the tribes mourn? Remember, when Jesus comes back, it's at the end of this tribulation time. And there there will be some that will know the scripture and will know that Jesus is coming back as judge. And everything that the Bible said will be confirmed when Jesus comes back. He will come back in power and glory and they will mourn because what are they gonna say? I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I should have bowed my knee before and I didn't do it. I knew I should, I, I knew I should have followed Jesus, but I didn't do it, and now he's here and I'm in trouble and it's too late. And that's why the nations will mourn because they thought they were in control. How ridiculous is it that... I'm just going to put this out there. (laughs) You know, all I hear in the news is climate crisis, climate crisis. I get sick and tired of hearing that. As if man can control the universe. Really? It's... They will mourn because they think they are in control they are not in control god is on the throne and he will come in power and glory and then from john the present beholder i mean and so john had spent 3 years with jesus and he knew jesus he knew the doctrine and you know he knew all about the words and the preaching and 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 what was true and and all about Jesus. He knew that, but then he turned around and he saw Jesus face to face again after 60 years. There he was. Can you imagine that moment? He didn't look like he did when he was on earth. And even, even his transfiguration, the, the, the transfiguration was just a hint of what was coming. And when John turns around and he sees it, he hears his voice and he turns around and there's Jesus. His bestie, right? But in a glorified body like he's never seen before. Wow, what a powerful moment. I mean, the voice is as loud as a trumpet. He turns around and and what he saw, just incredible. It's clear that he's got a final message, that is Jesus. A final responsibility for John before his work on earth is done. The white hair representing purity and wisdom. His eyes like a flame of fire representing the penetrating accuracy of of what Jesus sees. And that's certainly helpful when we read about the churches. When Jesus describes what's going on in the church, it's true. It's exactly what's going on. Looking not only on the outward appearance, but on the heart. The truth about each of the churches will be absolutely accurate. He had seven stars in his hand. Now that is either the pastors or the pastors of those churches or the angels that are in charge of keeping watch over those churches. It could be either. The sharp two-edged sword out of his mouth, the word, the truth. Who can argue against the word of God, right? Right? The feet and furnace, thunderously loud voice. John does what any of us would have done at that moment. He fell on his face before Jesus at his feet. And then Jesus did something that is incredibly endearing. And Jesus reached out with his right hand. And he put it on John. And he said, don't be afraid. He touched him. He reached out and touched him. Can you, like, (laughs) I just get shivers when I think of that. Um, Wow. He touched him. He said, John, we're still besties. (laughs) John, he's saying, I love you, John. Since I met this blessed Savior, since he cleansed and made me whole oh, I will never cease to praise him I'll shout it while eternity rolls He touched me Oh, he touched me And oh, the joy that floods my soul Something happened and now I know he touched me and made me whole oh that's what John experienced you can experience that Jesus can reach out and touch you he wants to touch you he loves you so much so this is an important message for us to hear now here and now we're talking, we're, we're going to take this book of Revelation, we're going to take it off the spindle, we're going to look at it, and we're going to read it, we're going to hear what it says, and we're going to prayerfully adjust according to the word of the Lord. Amen? Amen. I want to read this again to close. And uh, why why are we going into Revelation for sure again? Here Here's what... This is Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. This is from the English Standard Version. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. You want a blessing? Read the book of Revelation. Read it out loud so that ears can take it in. The Holy Spirit will minister to you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for, uh, for your servant, John, who was, um, who, <laughs> who was faithful right to the end after all of those years. Sixty years had passed, and he was still faithfully preaching your word, and you reached out and touched him, but you touched him for us so that we would receive what you would have for us. And so we pray your blessing on us in Jesus' name. Amen. This benediction, I want to remind you that um, if you would like to pray together, you're welcome to come up and we can pray together. There's lots to pray about, right? Don't be shy. Now, may the strength of God pilot us. May the wisdom of God instruct us. May the hand of God protect us. May the word of God direct us be always ours this day and forevermore. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. God bless you.